Good evening, everybody. Welcome into To The Point. You're all doing well. On a little bit later than usual on this Monday, internet was down the last little while, but we are live. We are back to talk about a very interesting weekend in the world of sports with an awesome NFL day, in particular yesterday, but Saturday was great too. UFC 297 on Saturday night, which is drama-filled, interesting, We'll get into it. A rough night for Canadians. We'll talk about Patrick Waugh joining the New York Islanders in an interesting move, which paid dividends last night. The Maple Leafs won a game. That's headline news. And so much more from over the weekend. So that's all forthcoming. No big news on the NFL head coaching yet, but the Raiders did retain Antonio Pierce. So there is that news. I think that's the right decision. Bill Belichick did his second interview with the Falcons. That's the only team he's talked to so far. You still have so many coaches talking. I believe the Falcons have interviewed 12 people. The Titans are going to interview 12 people. So a very deep search, talking to a lot of different people trying to find the right guy to be their head coach in 2024-2025. But those can happen at any time. And if they do happen, we will break them down here into the point. But I want to start today with a game that happens a lot in the playoffs. You think you get sick of it, but it always delivers. Kansas City... Buffalo. Two of the best quarterbacks in the world. Two of the most interesting fan bases. Craziness, late January in Orchard Park, New York. And for the third time in the postseason, Patrick Mahomes beat Josh Allen, the Kansas City Chiefs, beat the Buffalo Bills. But I even think the loss yesterday for Buffalo is more painful than the loss they had in overtime a few years ago. This one stings more because they had the game. They had the game plan. They're playing a Chiefs team that's been very inconsistent all year long. A vulnerable Chiefs team that you could say this is the worst team Patrick Mahomes has had since he entered the NFL, including his rookie season. And yet you still can't beat them. Off the top, I thought Josh Allen was phenomenal yesterday. The fourth quarter, he'd like to have back, I'm sure. He made some mistakes. He missed some throws, and it cost them. But through, let's say, three and a half quarters, Josh Allen played phenomenal football. He played elite ball, and nobody could do anything with him. Through the air, on the ground, using his legs. Two rushing touchdowns, a touchdown pass to Shakir, He was Superman 
for the Bills, but in a different way. They were playing complementary football. Check the ball down, passes behind the line of scrimmage. It wasn't aired out down the field. But Buffalo allowed that allowed their players to get room in space. Both teams dominated on first down, which limited and opened up the playbook, which you could do on second and third down for third and twos, uh, second and ones for a lot of the game. And they were playing. I thought Josh played as good a game as he could. He didn't turn the ball over, which he always does. He didn't make a pass that was just completely stupid and, and out of nowhere. He was cool, calm, collected. He didn't get phased, and he played great. So off the top, I can be hard on Josh Allen. He played great yesterday. And I think if they stick to the game plan in the fourth quarter, if they don't start throwing the ball down the field, if they continue to plug away, gain chunk yardage, run the football, they beat Kansas City. Joe Brady was calling a great game to me until the fourth quarter. Then it got haywire. It went a little loose. But overall, Josh, the offense, they did what they had to do. Now, McDermott, who calls the defense, who fired Leslie Frazier last offseason, who was the defensive coordinator, did not have a good day yesterday. Patrick Mahomes had his best game of the season. Big plays to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Big plays to Travis Kelsey for two touchdowns. Mahomes escaping, as I mentioned, owning first down. Isaiah Pacheco running the football like his life depended on it. There were holes all over the field, and Kansas City took advantage of it. So looking at the defense, Buffalo failed. They were worse than Kansas City. Kansas City didn't have a great day. Both defenses couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. Both defenses were not getting to Patrick Jones or Josh Allen until Chris Jones on the second-to-last offensive play of the game for the Buffalo Bills where he ran into Deion Dawkins and basically threw him into Josh Allen, which affected a throw down the field, which he had a man wide open for the touchdown. You can look at the whole game. Bills. You're in it. Kansas City goes up three with a Pacheco touchdown. And then it's a three and out. You're inside your own 30. And this is where McDermott went full McDermott and made one of the stupidest decisions I can remember. You have Josh Allen as your quarterback, the human freight train. James Cook, who's no slouch, who's been running the football incredibly all game. Close to 200 rushing yards for the Bills as a team for the game. And if you're going to gamble on a fourth down, you give it to the quarterback, you give it to your offense because they deserve the right and they've been playing fantastic for three quarters. Instead, you go with a special teams play and you give the ball to DeMar Hamlin. And it's a special moment because DeMar Hamlin's on the field. It's a trick play, but it didn't work. The Bills fail, and that should have been the game. Kansas City should have got the ball, went down the field, and 
scored a touchdown, they would have been up 10 points. That's the ball game. But then even still, the Bills are bailed out by McCole Hardman fumbling at the one-yard line. It goes through the end zone, touchback. And you still can't go down the field and win. And while the sequence happens, Bills go on a decent drive. You get the ball down, third, nine. Josh Allen makes a poor decision. A minute 44 on the clock, you're going to kick the field goal to try the game, to tie the game. And obviously, Tyler Bass goes wide right. Here's what I think Bills fans don't realize today. You were going to lose the game regardless at that stage if you made that field goal. Because Kansas City, there's no way in hell they're not going down the field with a minute 44 with timeouts to go get a field goal to walk it off. The way that offense has been playing the whole game, Mahomes is going to be clutch in that moment. He is every time, and the Chiefs are going to win. Sure, wide right is this is the moment. It's the seminal moment. You think about it. Wide right by Tyler Bass. Bills fans are crying. He can hardly lift his head. But you would have lost anyway. It happened before. It happened with McDermott making that decision. It happened with the defense not being able to make plays the entirety of the game. Getting to Mahomes. Tackling people well. Allowing Valdez Scantling, who had a horrible season, to make big catch after big catch in coverage. This was a phenomenal game. What I think proves it is McDermott's a good coach. I think he coached his ass off down the stretch, get the Bills into that second seed, and he deserves credit for that because the Bills were missing so many people on defense. Matt Milano, one of the best cover linebackers in football. And you beat the Dolphins out for that, and you won a playoff game. But he got outcoached by Andy Reid. Joe Brady was good. He wasn't as good as Andy Reid. McDermott wasn't as good in key situations. He made mistakes. And Josh Allen was a little bit worse than Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's just where we are. The Bills are a good team, but they might just be a team that we remember that could never win. Dan Fouts with the Chargers. They never won. They got close. They had great teams, but they never could win the big game. They never got to those moments. Marino got to one Super Bowl with the Dolphins. After that, he did not. He never got back. Good teams in Miami. He fought his ass off, but they could never get over the hump. They could never beat those other teams in the AFC. Josh Allen might be included on that list. Because Patrick Mahomes is not going anywhere. And Kansas City Chiefs had one of their worst teams after winning a Super Bowl and having to gut the roster a little bit, losing a lot of guys in free agency. And yet they still win a game on the road in Buffalo in that environment. It's got to be frustrating. 
because Josh has to think, I played well enough to win that game, and it just wasn't enough. You overcome a turnover on downs. You get the break of a fumble. I'm thinking down the stretch, Buffalo's going to win this game. But I thought they are going to score a touchdown. They said they're going to score a touchdown in this last drive, and they finally get to beat the Chiefs. They advance to the AFC Championship game. But when I knew Bass was making, missing that kick, you just could feel it. He wasn't ready for that moment. He wasn't ready to make that kick, and he goes wide right. For Buffalo. Bill Belichick's available. If I knew I could hire him, which, according to Adam Schefter, on the Pat McAfee show today, Bill Belichick's only talked to the Falcons. He's not talked to any other team. He's not talked to the Chargers. That's the only job he's been in touch with. He's talked to Arthur Blank. That's it when it comes to openings. So maybe his services are not that wanted or he only wants to go to Atlanta and that's it. But they're, they were interviewing candidates today and they've already gotten to the Rooney rule. So it's not as if they just have to interview black candidates to, you know, to fill the quota. They're interviewing people that they might hire over Bill. If I was Buffalo, I would fire Sean McDermott if I could get Bill Belichick as my head coach. They're both defensive-minded. They're both similar, but Bill's a better, just a team builder. He's a better coach. Those type of situations, they're never going to be going for that fake punt play. I can guarantee you that. Clock management things. McDermott gets flustered. Brandon Bean's the GM. He's a good GM. He's still going to be doing that job. He, you're not taking away those reins, but Bill comes in as the head coach. And I do think Bill would go to Buffalo because he told the Jets to go fuck themselves and he went to the Patriots, a team in the same division. It was a long time ago, but he did it. He get to coach against the Patriots twice a year with the best quarterback in the division. Because is Josh just going to hang around in Buffalo and lose these games? Does he want another opportunity somewhere with a better coach, a better team, a better opportunity? If you keep McDermott and Brandon Bean stays and you keep Josh Allen, I don't think Stephon Diggs can come back when it comes to his cap number. He's going to have the second highest cap number by a wide receiver in the NFL next season. And not to mention, he had a horrible season. Shakir outplayed him. which you don't expect to see, but Stefan Diggs looked like a number three receiver that completely lost. Down the stretch, he had no impact on the game. Yesterday, he had three catches for 21 yards. He only had 1,100 yards receiving on the season. This is his last couple. Versus Pittsburgh, 7 for 52. Miami, his best game, 7 for 87. New England, 4 for 26. Chargers, 5 for 29. Dallas, 4 for 48. Kansas City, the first game, 4 for 24. 
Jets, four for 27. Denver, three for 34. The last time Stephon Diggs had a 100-yard game was on October 15th against the New York Giants. He's paid like a number one. He does not play like a number one. He dropped a touchdown with 8.23 left in the fourth quarter. Him and Josh have had trouble in the past. He nearly uh, asked for a trade to start a training camp this year. This time around, he looks like the problem. He's not playing well. Diva wide receiver. I don't know. But he was not good yesterday, and he's got a huge cap, and you have to deal with it. Because you have a lot of defensive players that you have to worry about. Can you bring them back? Going to bring that up from Shefty here. Find that from last night because he likes to tweet out when teams lose. Off-season free agents. Gabe Davis, he's gone. Micah Hyde, safety. Leonard Floyd, Terrell Dodson, Dane Jackson, the corner. A.J. Espinessa, Taylor Rapp, important player. Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, Puna Ford, Trent Shirtfield Jr., the third. Shaq Lawson. A lot of guys that were important on this team. They're not going to be able to bring them all back. Guys are going to get money elsewhere. I think the Buffalo window is shrinking. Because I like James Cook. He's young. He's affordable. Josh is great. But he's not perfect. There's a reason he doesn't win any of these big games. He makes his mistakes. That might have been his best playoff game yesterday. And they still lost. But you might lose Diggs. You might lose Gabe Davis. Number one and number two receivers. Your offensive line is getting older. Defense banged up all the time. Kyer Elam was a first-round pick at corner. He's hardly been used since he was drafted at the University of Florida two years ago. You push chips in to have a good team to compete, and you have. But you lost in this game for two consecutive years. You lost at home. To the Bengals last year, you lose at home to the Chiefs this season. It simply can't happen. Something has to change. Running it back, the old turn, let's run it back. Let's bring back the same group. It makes no sense when you don't win. When you don't have success, why would you run it back with the group? It was clearly a failure. The Bills, in all likelihood, will be the favorite to win the AFC East when free agency is over, the draft, whenever the the line comes out. They will be the favorite to win the AFC East again next year. Even with the Dolphins' prolific offense and everything that they've done, I still think the Bills will be slightly ahead of them. It'll be close. But Josh takes more hits than any other quarterback every year. Teams getting older, teams getting worse. You have a Von Miller contract that's a behemoth that doesn't help you. He's hardly on the field, and he's been he's been a really bad player since they brought him on. You have to think about outright cutting him and just taking the salary on the chin because he's been a no show.
But I'm serious about this. If I was Buffalo and I knew I, I can get Bill Belichick because he's still free, I would consider it. Brandon Bean's loyal to McDermott. They've they were brought on together. They had the same contract. They're up at the same time. It's not going to happen, but it should at least be a discussion. Yes, Pagula is as cheap as it fucking gets. He got fans. He didn't even pay them to go shovel out the stadium. Go hire somebody, you cheap bastard. Go get somebody and do the job. You're a professional football team. Your team's worth $4 billion. You don't need the people of Buffalo. Guess what? They're sad enough. They're going to live in Buffalo and watch the Bills lose every year and watch your sad sack Sabres, which you can never turn around. I haven't made the playoffs the longest streak in the NHL right now. Hire a company to go move the snow. Give me a break. And you might be a cheap owner because your team stink and you want to try to save money and your daughter lost in the second round in Australia, stunk it up playing tennis. Bill Belichick has owned you for 25 years. You've never even been in the same conversation as Bill Belichick. I give him a ring. Is he interested? Would he come to Buffalo? Maybe he doesn't want to come. I get that. If I was him, I'd want to coach against Robert Kraft and stick it to him. I'm on the better team already. I got the better quarterback. If he goes to the Falcons, you draft a quarterback, you move up, you take Drake May, okay, potentially. You take Jaden Daniels, who won the Heisman. He's great, but again, is he going to be better than Josh Allen? <laughs> I mean, Josh Allen's one of the five, six best quarterbacks in the world. That's a hard thing to imagine, Jaden Daniels being better. Okay, you trade for Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields, but is Justin Fields better than Josh Allen right now? No. Bill Belichick in Buffalo makes a lot of sense. More sense than it, to me than going to Atlanta. I like the weapons better in Atlanta. The division sucks, but the AFCs didn't exactly murderer's row. The Jets are a joke. Dolphins are up in the air. They can't win a game on the road. If it's not 95 degrees, they're losing the game or in a dome. And your former team will like will have a new quarterback. But uh, their skill position players still stink because you drafted them. You know how bad they are. So but that's a tough one for Buffalo. But I do not think wide right cost them the game because they were going to lose the game Regardless, it was before. It was the moments before that really cost them. When it comes to Kansas City, credit to Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes for dialing that game up. I did think the Chiefs were going to win. I predicted they'd win. I went four for four on picks this weekend, just for so you're aware. Three for four on the spread. Uh, Texans. Um, but pretty good weekend that way. I do not know the lines for the next weekend's games because I'm going to save that and talk about that later. I'm curious to see what they are, but I don't know what they are yet. But Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey did really what Stefan Diggs didn't. A poor season by his standards. Limelight for the wrong reasons, playing bad football, 
going to Argentina to see Taylor Swift. Uh, you know, focused on the podcast, not on football, yada, yada, yada. Getting old. And he got five catches for 75 yards yesterday and two touchdowns. And Mahomes and Kelsey are now the best duo in NFL history when it comes to touchdowns in the playoffs. They surpassed Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And they surpassed them in like half the games too. Really incredible stuff from those two guys. The best tight end and the most talented quarterback to ever play the game. Tom Brady might be the best. Patrick Mahomes can do about 80 things that Tom Brady can't. Patrick Mahomes is not going to win seven Super Bowls, but he might win three or four, and he's going to have a hell of a career. But he's having a lackluster season. You win the Super Bowl last year, you're kind of going through the motions. You have to go beat the Dolphins at home, then you go to Buffalo. His plays in the pocket, evading pressure, finding MVS down the field, finding Kelsey, trusting Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Rasheed Rice, who got the hell beaten out of him yesterday, coming up with big catches. I just thought Mahomes was fantastic. 17 for 23, 215, and two touchdowns. Doesn't sound that impressive, but it was. And he also had a 32-yard rush. He did everything he could. Pacheco, 15 carries for 97 yards. Six and a half yards a clip. Clyde Edwards there, two carries for 31. That's 15 and a half yards a clip. They did not give up on the running game. They played complimentary football as well. They just scored way faster than the Bills. They didn't have as long a drive. But they played complimentary football. The Bills had the ball for 37 minutes. The Chiefs only had it for 22, and they won the damn game. (laughs) Isn't that something? Craziness. One for five on third down. And yet, they still won the game. They found a way. 146 rushing yards, which is so anti-Kansas City. But to Andy Reid's credit, he knew how to attack Buffalo, and he knows the strengths of his team. When you need Mahomes to make a pass, when you need Mahomes to scramble, come up with a huge play on a third down, you do it. But he kept giving the ball to Pacheco. He trusted that part of his team, trusted his offensive line to deliver. And it did. They played hard the entire night, and Kansas City was just impressive. They were. They believed the entire time. They played hard the entire They were in those big moments, and they delivered. Kelsey with two touchdowns. Pacheco with the game-winning touchdown. I just thought Kansas City was more clutch in the bigger moments. I thought it was such a mistake giving the ball to Mecole Hardman that close to the goal line at that moment in the game. But it didn't matter. They survived it. Mahomes just finds a way in the playoffs to raise his level and be great in those moments. 
and he did it again yesterday. Josh Allen is a hell of a quarterback, a hell of a competitor. But Mahomes is just a little bit better than Josh. A little bit more clutch. A little bit more reliable. Head-to-heads, 4-3 Mahomes. But the key thing, Mahomes is 3-0 in the postseason. Kansas City is a, a tough opponent next week. I don't know if they can win that game. Because they aren't as good as the Baltimore Ravens. But for them to get to this point this year, I did not expect them to. And they found a way. Kansas City now gets to prepare. All-pro tackle Joe Tooney got hurt against the Bills. He's being evaluated. If he misses the game, that's a huge loss for Kansas City on their offensive line. They need him. Crucial for pass protection, but also for the run game, creating massive holes for Pacheco. I'm curious to see how Buffalo reacts, what decisions they make moving forward here, because something's got to give. You can't just keep doing the same thing and hoping for a different result. I know a hockey team that lives close to Buffalo that does the same thing, and they don't win that often. I'm not talking about Detroit. (laughs) As I mentioned, Kansas City will be playing Baltimore. Tale of two halves in this game. First half, it's 10-10. Lamar scrambling, killing the Texas defense. But they're missing out on opportunities. A few drop passes. Texans get three sacks in the first half. Christian Harris, the linebacker, is flying all over the field. He had two sacks and three tackles for a loss in the first half. Texans offense can't generate anything. They're getting uh, pre-snap penalties. The Ravens defense is on the attack. But they get a punt return for a touchdown by Sims. Their defense holds up, and you go into... Halftime, 10-10. So you're thinking, well, Houston might have a chance. They played dreadful. CJ shot at no time. They're getting penalties. Can they make this a game? But credit to Baltimore. They stomped on Houston's chest in the second half, and they took it to them. Lamar did not take a sack in the second half. He only threw the ball 22 times for 150 yards, but he did two passing touchdowns. He ran the ball 11 times for 100 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Justice Hill, 13 for 66. Gus Edwards, 10 carries for 40 yards. Baltimore was methodical. Design quarterback runs. Scrambles, Justice Hill in space. Find Isaiah Likely in the middle of the defense, what he does. He just knows how to score touchdowns. Key passes to Zay Flowers when they needed him. He would either make the catch or it would be a pass interference play. Baltimore fueled themselves in the second half from doubt and I think worries from the past. 
but I credit their defense for playing a full 60 minutes. Jadavion Clowney, Kyle Hamilton, who was brilliant in the game like he has been most of his career since being drafted by Notre Dame. Matubike, who's been great. They just took it to Houston. They didn't let them breathe. Roquan Smith. If you look at it, C.J. Stroud didn't take a sack in this game. But he was under duress the entire game. He had to get the ball out of his hands because he kept having people coming for him. They did not allow the Houston Texans to run the football. 14 carries for a little over 35 yards. That's nothing. Nico Collins was held in check because of great coverage down the field, even without Marlon Humphrey, who's a former All-Pro, I might add. CJ Stroud threw the ball 33 times, only for a buck 75. It was all check downs. It was all, let's get the ball out of my hand because I'm going to take shots. I'm going to take a sack. And Baltimore just physically owned the Texans. Texans are a young team with a great first-year head coach, with a great rookie quarterback, with a future that I think is going to be very bright. But Baltimore built a team this season to win a Super Bowl, to be great in these moments. They built a team for the playoffs to play physical, smash, in your mouth, we're going to beat the hell out of you and win this ballgame. And that's what they did. Houston could not deal with the size, with the physicality of the Baltimore Ravens. It was a cold day, and they just they didn't care. They played football. They played at their style. Houston could never get them off their style in the second half and ended up being 34-10 to for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar was brilliant. MVP in the regular season. And he was an MVP on Saturday. He did whatever he wanted to do. Breakout, design runs, find Justice Hill. He was just brilliant. To me, he's gotten so much smarter as a player, understanding when to keep the ball, when to give it to his running back, finding guys in good situations. He's without Mark Andrews, and this team is just fine without him. It'd be great to have Mark Andrews, but then again, you look at it and go, hey, they're pretty comfortable with who they have. Houston said, we're going to spy Lamar Jackson for a little bit, but then Lamar said, no, you're not. <laughs> because you can't catch me. I'm too good. You can't be aware of me at all times, and he just took advantage of it. It was a really impressive Ravens game. They do have the best defense in the NFL. Kansas City has a great defense, but it's not on Baltimore's level. Kansas City's defense did not have a great day yesterday, quite frankly. 
they were they could be had and they they were had for most of the day. Josh Allen did whatever the hell he wanted to do on that defense. Baltimore is going to come at you in waves. They do not have a Chris Jones. They don't have a guy that you think of on a defensive line where you go that guy is the go-to person. But Jadavion Clowney is a pretty good football player. And Madu Bike is a pretty good football player. And Kyle Van Noy has been around the block. He's a pretty decent football player. And simulated pressure, simulated pressure, pressure from Marcus Williams coming from the safety position. Kyle Hamilton on a blitz. Roquan Smith in the middle linebacker position. He might be the most decorated player on the team, and he plays a position that's really been undervalued in the last number of years, which is middle linebacker. They are just so balanced. We're going to talk about San Francisco. I think San Francisco is a good team. Baltimore is better because they have a better quarterback than San Francisco does. You pair a great defense with an elite quarterback, it's nearly impossible to beat you. Because you have every requisite weapon that you'd want to build a winning team. Great quarterback, great defense, great uh, skilled players. Whatever. There's nothing else you need. Great head coach, a winner. Baltimore just proved in the second half, there are levels to this. We're better than Houston. They're in the, they're in the, the initial stages. They're playing novice hockey. We're in midget. They might want to try to grow. They're going to want to get better. They got a good head coach. They got a good quarterback. But we have a good, we got a better coach and a better quarterback at this stage with better pieces around them. Baltimore's been in Houston's situation for a long time. Houston winning the division in their first year, incredible. They had a phenomenal season. I love D'Amico Ryan. So I thought the hire was a home run from day one. Because I thought he was an awesome coach in San Francisco, and every defensive player seemed to love him. And I think his players love him in Houston. And I think they should want to keep a large majority of that offensive line. Laramie Tunsil is awesome. Shrugs, they have a good offensive line in Houston. You want to keep your quarterback. You want to keep Nico Collins if you can. Dalton Schultz is a free agent. I like Dalton Schultz. Left the Cowboys. He was good this season for the Texans. You're going to get Tank Dell back, who's phenomenal. If you get out another wide receiver, either in the draft or in free agency, I think that'd be great. Running back position could be improved. But they have a bright future. They have money to spend. The draft last year, they had the second pick and the third pick, and they made good selections. C.J. Strata, quarterback, Will Anderson Jr., defensive end from Alabama. C.J. Stroud's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Will Anderson Jr. potentially could win Defensive Rookie of the Year. So two guys on the same team could both be taking home hardware in a couple weeks at the NHL, sorry, at the NFL awards ceremony. So an impressive season for them. But the Ravens are going to be at home. They should be the favorite. 
going into the AFC Championship game. I guess I haven't looked at the line yet. We're going to do it right now together. I'm going to guess Baltimore, first AFC title game with Lamar Jackson, obviously. He was 1-3 in the playoffs coming into the game on Saturday. 2-3 now. Number one seed overall in the NFL. They beat San Francisco. They've beaten everybody. Lamar's the MVP. They got the better team. They have a better defense than Kansas City. I don't think they have a better quarterback, but Lamar's fantastic. Baltimore has better skill position players. I like both offensive lines, but I would lean... If Joan Tooney's healthy, I might lean Kansas City, but again, that's close. Mark Andrews could also be back for Baltimore this weekend. He was questionable this week, so he gets another week to see if he can be back. Andrews, likely OBJ. Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman. Nelson Aguilar caught a touchdown on Saturday. I'm going to predict that Baltimore I'm going to say Baltimore minus 4. We're going to see. As I get on to FanDuel. And as I do, it seems to be down. That's convenient. As I set up this, as I set up the segment, I appreciate that. But I have another avenue. It is Baltimore minus three and a half. Boy, was I close. Baltimore minus four was my pick. It's Baltimore minus three and a half. That makes sense. Yeah, right about where I thought it'd be. Baltimore is the favorite, the home team, the number one seed. Playing a wounded Kansas City team that is not even close to being as talented, but has won in these games so many times before. It'll be Mahomes' first AFC championship game on the road. Sunday at 4 p.m. We'll talk about that game through this week, as we will the NFC Championship game. We'll break it down, talk about the individual matchups. I cannot wait for it. But Baltimore, Kansas City, phenomenal. Let's move to the NFC. As good a story as Lamar getting this far, Lamar playing fantastic. Uh, I don't think many people would be excited to see Kansas City winning again because they do every year. I will say, I think seeing excellence, seeing a team succeed year after year over year is compelling in its own way. Dynasties are what we remember most. The Islanders. You know, 1980s Islanders, Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky's Oilers, the Bills for an opposite dynasty of losing four Super Bowls in a row with Jim Kelly, 
the Patriots dynasty, Jimmy Johnson and the Dallas Cowboys. If you think through history, the teams that we remember, the, the seminal moments that we remember the most are through dynasties, are through excellence. One-off titles are fantastic, of course. Alex Ovechkin winning a championship with the Washington Capitals in 2018. Who could, you know, who could believe it? St. Louis winning in 2019 after being dead last in mid-January. A phenomenal story. But dynasties and excellence are fantastic. But to compare and contrast a dynasty and excellence in Kansas City to Detroit, I think across the world, the Detroit Lions are the best story going in sports and for sure in football right now. The Detroit Lions are advancing to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1991. Man Campbell, Jared Goff, Josh Reynolds, Amra St. Brown, Frank Ragno, who's been in Detroit a long time, Taylor Decker, who's still doing it, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who was in the Super Bowl last year with the Eagles. This Detroit Lions team won yesterday, a game they should have won. A game I didn't think was going to be that close, and I'll give credit to Baker Mayfield in a second, my boy. But first off, to my friend Adam Beers, congratulations. He's a Lions fan. It's a lot of suffering. It's a lot of losing. But when you come out the other side, uh, congratulations to you and to the people of Detroit. You don't have a whole lot going for you. Your city sucks. You have Eminem, and that's about it. And then there's the Flint, Michigan water crisis that Obama never helped you with. But, hey, we won't talk about that. Through two playoff games, the, the most evident thing about the Detroit Lions is the play of their quarterback. Jared Goff is so composed. He's so calm. Unflappable is how I would describe Jared Goff. Nothing bothered him. 30 for 43, 287, two touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over again. Went to the running game when he needed to. Went to St. Brown in the big moments. Sam Laporta clearly banged up, but was still awesome in this game. And he just, he made big throws. Hitting Brock Wright, the backup tight end, for 29 yards. Josh Reynolds for a touchdown for the second straight week. He was just quick. He was precise. He looked like the general. He looked like an elite quarterback. From Thanksgiving, where he threw a game away to the Green Bay Packers, to where he is now, he looks completely dialed in to who he is as a player. They didn't make it easy on themselves. Again, this was a 10-10 halftime. Baker Mayfield throwing an incredible pass to Mike Evans. But Detroit stuck to the game plan. We're going to run the football up the middle. Create lanes. Capitalize on mistakes. Jared Goff confident, I'm going to make the right throw to the right receiver at the right time. Man Campbell and Ben Johnson have confidence in me. 
I'm going to deliver for this team. And he did time after time after time. And it's really great to see Jared Goff, who was thrown away with the Rams, kind of threw to Detroit. You go, oh, God, you're sent to Detroit. A bad organization with a losing history, an organization that made two of the biggest legends in the history of sport retire, which isn't an opinion. It's a fact. Barry Sanders and Megatron said, get me the hell out of here. I'm sick of Detroit and I'm sick of losing. And Dan Campbell, who drinks 85 coffees a day and bites kneecaps and can be over the top and loves a power pump and a tight tight shirt, it doesn't matter. He's the perfect coach for this team. They love him in the city. They love playing for him. And they play like Dan Campbell because they are a physical, physical, mean team. St. Brown's just a gutsy player. He does whatever he has to do to get the yards to pick up the first, and he can take a huge hit. He'll do it. Laporta probably even shouldn't be playing after being injured the last week. The dude's just a fucking stud. He's already one of the best tight ends in the league. He should be first-team All-Pro in his rookie season because he was that damn good this season. He should be All-Pro over George Kittle, and I love George Kittle. But Laporta was great. And something that bugged me earlier in the year with Detroit. Give Jameer Gibbs the ball. Because every time he's got the ball in his hands, something great happens. He averaged 8.2 yards a carry yesterday. He finished with over 100 all-purpose yards. 74 on the ground, 40 through the air. And, uh, oh yeah, by the way, two touchdowns. One rushing, one receiving. He just... He can do it all. He's so shifty. They took him 12th overall in the draft, and it's been worth it. They have the thunder and rain, but Montgomery only averaged 3.3 yards a carry. My, my only thing, give Jameer Gibbs the ball more. 13 touches. It should be more than 13 touches. Their three best players, other than Jared Goff, to get the ball to, are St. Brown, Laporta, and Jameer Gibbs. They should be the focal point. Any, def- any defense coming and going, we're going to let Josh Reynolds beat us. We'll let Jamison Williams beat us. Brock Wright, Jason Kambinda, doesn't matter. Montgomery, we are not letting those three guys beat us on defense. We need to be aware of them. But Detroit didn't turn the ball over. Their defense forced two turnovers. They made big plays when they had to, and they are going to the NFC Championship game. Aiden Hutchinson, what could you say about him? Four tackles, tackle for a loss. They ended up with Four sacks on Baker Mayfield on the day. They were on him, the the whole coming at him. Big hits, big plays. But Detroit just they they're playing hard. They know it. 
They're owning it. Now, Tampa had their opportunities in this game to make it interesting, and they did. And Baker Mayfield did have two interceptions, but he was sacked four times, was hit a ton. What a season for Baker, and I couldn't be happier for him. Twenty-eight touchdowns, ten interceptions, four over four thousand yards passing, ninety-five quarterback rating, one touchdown on the ground. I don't think they expected much from him. I don't think they expect him to be the starting quarterback come midseason. He started every game and he got them to the NFC Championship game, and they lost the last game of the third season. By a score. They were in it until the very end. Mike Evans said after the game, this dude is criminally underrated. Baker Mayfield is a flat-out dog. That's Mike Evans. He played with Tom Brady. He's Mike Evans will likely be a Hall of Famer. Nine straight seasons to start a career with over 1,000 yards. He had over 100 receiving yards yesterday with a touchdown. Baker threw two tu- three touchdown passes to three different guys. I don't know what Tampa's future is because they're old. Levante Davids played a lot of football, and he played a hell of a game yesterday. He had a sack, nine tackles with four assists. He was fantastic. K.J. Brett was decent. Jamel Dean has been on the team a long time. Ryan Neal, Cansey, Winfield, Vita Vea. They've been on this team a minute. Shaq Barrett. But they gave everything they had this entire season to win the division, then go beat the Eagles, who were in the Super Bowl the last year. I don't know if Tampa's going to pay Baker Mayfield. If I was Tampa, I would. I'm not giving him crazy money, but I wouldn't say it's crazy to give a guy a three-year contract or a two-year deal at the very least. At $10 to $15 million a year. That's a bargain. That's like... a welfare to an NFL quarterback when it comes to some of the salary caps across the league. He's worth that. He's earned it. The team believes in him. They also need to re-sign Mike Evans. Do not let this guy go. He can still play. That catch he made right before the half, there aren't many guys in the league that can do that, in particular at his age, what he's doing. He's not slowing down. He had more receiving yards this year than Stephon Diggs. He had five more touchdowns than Stephon Diggs. With only 79 catches, 12-55, 13 touchdowns, and only seven drops. He's just a stud, Mike Evans. He has been his entire career. doesn't matter. He's played with so many different quarterbacks, and he just doesn't. And he doesn't bitch. He doesn't complain. He has games where he doesn't have huge numbers. Then he'll have a game where he'll have 200 yards receiving. He's a team guy. He's only played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I would bring him back. 100%. 
Tampa gave Detroit a tough game. Detroit did cover, which I thought at one point they're not going to cover this game. And I thought Detroit six and a half was. I, I, I thought Detroit would win the game by at least ten points. And Tampa kept it interesting, which kudos to them because I didn't see that coming, but they did. But Tampa's a bright future, I think. I keep Baker. I bring back Mike Evans. Check Schefter's here on them. Baker's a free agent. Mike Evans, Antoine Winfield Jr., important. Levante David, who's also only played for the Buccaneers over the course of his career. Devin White, Greg Gaines. They got a lot of guys. David Moore, who was good. Their kicker, Chase McLaughlin. So they have some decisions to make on where they want to go. But an awesome moment for Detroit. It's the best story in the NFL right now. And Detroit will be heading to San Francisco to play the 49ers. And I'm pretty sure Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, the Lions GM, and most Lions fans thought Saturday night, holy shit, we're going to be hosting the NFC Championship game. Because the Green Bay Packers quite simply, threw away a game that they should have won. In the fourth quarter, Jordan Love throws an interception. He misses Aaron Jones on a third down pass that should have been a completion, should have been a first down, which would have moved the sticks, probably would have kept him going. And then Anders Carlson misses a 41-yard field goal that was not that close. (sighs) Through all of that, through a game where Green Bay played pretty well, Aaron Jones continued to have a great postseason, getting chunk yardage whenever he deemed appropriate. They just... Couldn't capitalize. Aaron Jones, 18 carries for buck, buck 08, six yards a carry. Romeo Dobbs with another big game. Touchdowns to Bo Melton and Tucker Craft, a rookie tight end. But in the situational moments, Green Bay showed their immaturity. They couldn't take advantage. A rookie kicker botches one. The rookie quarterback, who had been really phenomenal in two games, had a bad fourth quarter, had some bad moments, threw a, an interception late in the game to Dre Greenlaw. That he did, It was a panic throw. He did not have to make that decision. He had time. He had timeouts. But another reason I say Green Bay should have won the game, Brock Purdy was by far the worst quarterback of the weekend, and it's not even close. I thought Brock Purdy was dreadful on Saturday. And yet you might look at it and go, he didn't turn the ball over, okay? He looked nervous. He did not look confident. And what I would say about him is, thank God for Juwan Jennings, who was awesome. Five catches for 61 yards, including four catches for first downs, because that's what he does. 
and Christian McCaffrey, who had six yards a clip himself and two touchdowns on the ground. The San Francisco defense made some plays when they had to. Greenlaw had two interceptions. They did not register a sack, but Nick Bosa was getting pressure on him. Fred Warren was all over the field. They just made stops when they found a way to make a play because Brock Purdy was nervous. He missed throws that he should have completed that were not close. And it was evident that Kyle Shannon doesn't fully trust Brock Purdy when there's a minute left in the first half. And San Francisco's kind of already in field goal range. But there's a minute left. They have three timeouts. And he lets the clock go all the way down to 32 seconds. And then he calls a timeout. They don't even run the play. He calls a timeout with 32 seconds. They don't get a first down the next couple plays. And they kick a field goal. Another rookie kicker for San Francisco. And that's blocked by Green Bay. So it only goes into the half 7-6 for San Francisco. And it's crazy. Because Green Bay should be leading at the half because they had the ball the entire first half. Jordan Love's playing better. Made a few mistakes in the red zone. San Francisco is completely all over the place. But yet, San Francisco should be up by at least four points. They should get a touchdown. It could be 14-6 at that moment. But no, let's let's just hope for the field goal. I'm not going to let my quarterback make a mistake. And he played so conservative. He played so scared in that moment. And those three points very well could have cost him the game. Going into the championship games, I have the least faith in Brock Purdy. He's on the number one seed in the NFC. I trust Lamar Moore. I trust Mahomes. And I trust Jared Goff. I just do. Brock Purdy did. He looked deer in the headlights yesterday. And then, to make matters worse, Debo Samuel is a 50-50 chance to play on Sunday night. Debo changed the offense. He helps them out in ways you can't even quantify. He's a Brock Purdy's a different quarterback when Debo Samuel is not on the field. Period. End of story. It's great to have McCaffrey. It's great to have Kittle. Jawan Jennings is a stud. Brandon Ayuk, who was hardly involved in the game on Sunday, he finished with three catches for 32 yards, but he was really inconsequential on the overall game. But Debo could be out. If they win, he could potentially miss the Super Bowl. It's that serious for San Francisco. But San Francisco won, but it feels like they shouldn't have won. Green Bay should have won that game. Just like I think Buffalo should have won that game against Kansas City, but neither team does. I do think Green Bay has a quarterback in the future in Jordan Love. I think the dude can play. 
They've got young, still really cheap weapons. Their offensive line is as good as it gets, and David Bakhtiari wasn't even playing. Tells you how good it is. Aaron Jones can still go, and they have depth at the running back positions. I'd love to see them get a few pass rushers. They could address, address that in the draft. But Jordan Love's still going to be cheap. They don't play in an easy division anymore. I'll say that. The Bears are trying to get better. They might have Caleb Williams on their team next year. The Detroit Lions are in the NFC Championship game. The Minnesota Vikings are in a weird spot, but they could be a good team again, depending on where they go at quarterback and decisions that they make this offseason. But Green Bay has a chance moving forward because you have a quarterback. You have that nucleus. Like Houston, you can look at him and go, Jordan Love, pretty good. C.J. Stroud, pretty good. That means we're a pretty damn good team. Back half of the season, there was no quarterback better than Jordan Love. He did not have his best moments in the fourth quarter, but it was a learning experience. You're on the road in the Bay Area. Green Bay just can't seem to win there, kind of like Dallas. And San Francisco survives. Now, how long do they survive is my question. Where does this team go from here? Can Brock Purdy have a game? He was injured in the NFC Championship game last year. Going through a year, ups and downs, some really good football in there. McCaffrey's awesome. Still have a great defense. As I stated for the AFC Championship game, I have not looked at the line yet. I have no idea what the line is. My initial guess. Tell you right off the hop, I'm leaning Detroit Lions. I am. I'm just I'm not trusting with those injuries, missing players, the, the worst quarterback of the four remaining. Not debatable. I think San Francisco is going to be the favorite just like Baltimore is because they're at home. I do not think that San Francisco would be a biggest favorite as Baltimore is. Because while they are a better team overall than Detroit, I think, I I like Jared Goff, and he's played better football throughout the last number of weeks. I'm going to say that San Francisco's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Right in the middle, two-and-a-half points. And the line is San Francisco minus seven. What? I am perplexed by that number. I'm I'm stunned. I can't seven points. Oh, I get it. Detroit nearly, you know, did not cover against Tampa Bay, but they did. San Francisco did not cover against Green Bay. Nine and a half point home favorite. Brock Purdy did not have a good game. Demo Samuel might miss the game. 
If it stays at seven points, I'm taking the Lions. Right, I'm going to bet the game right after this. I'm taking Detroit plus seven. And I would advise you to as well. I'm not sure Detroit wins the game, but I think they keep it close. Football's too weird. That physical defense, they come at, they hit Brock Purdy. His shoulder might break in two like it did last year. San Francisco hasn't been winning these NFC Championship games. They get to the NFC Championship game, and they lose. Yes, Detroit's not been there in a very long time. It doesn't matter. The past teams. I see Detroit now. I think both these games are great. I don't agree with the seven-point spread. I think it's two very close teams. And again, Kansas City not as talented as Baltimore, but can Mahomes keep it close? I think he probably can because it's Mahomes and it's what he's done his entire career. Find a way to keep a game interesting. Find a way to put up points. But that is a overhand right, let me tell you, to see San Francisco minus seven. Wow. I just... I... Guys, I can't even process that. Those two games are coming up on Sunday. 4 p.m. Chiefs-Ravens in Maryland. 7.30 Lions-49ers in Santa Clara. We'll talk about injury updates throughout the week. We'll preview the games as we move along here. I mentioned Antonio Pierce became the permanent head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. So they made up their mind. They'll be looking for a quarterback in the offseason. Bill O'Brien also made a move. He <coughs> pardon me. He left the Patriots and decided to join the Ohio State Buckeyes as their new offensive coordinator. Ryan Day's giving up the offensive play calling duties. Bill O'Brien was a great OC with the Alabama Crimson Tide under Nick Saban. He now Gets to go back to college. He'll be able to work with multiple quarterbacks. They just brought in a a redshirt freshman from Alabama who went through the transfer portal. They also uh, found another guy in the portal to bring in a veteran quarterback to come in and play. Ameko Buka is returning to school. They brought in Kayshawn Jutkins from Ole Miss through the transfer portal. They landed Caleb Downs, who was an All-American freshman last year for Alabama. So a lot of players are leaving Alabama. Ohio State's scooping them up. They're going to have a good team. They might be the prohibitive favorite to win the national championship when the, when the season starts. Ryan Day knows he's got a lot of pressure on him after Michigan wins the national championship this year. Losing to Michigan three years in a row, he could potentially be going into a year where Jim Harbaugh is outside of the league. That would certainly be an advantage to him. <coughs> but Ohio State's spending money. And they're very much in the game. They bring in Bill O'Brien. Other coaching news. Other coaching news. We got Jim Harbaugh's meeting with the Chargers for the second time this week. 
So that's coming up. So many coaches are meeting with people, but nothing's set in stone yet. Let's see any other news tonight as we chat through this. Nothing, nothing big. Zach Ertz was signed to Detroit Lions practice squad for her Super Bowl champion with the Eagles. Was playing with the Cardinals this year. Got injured. They scoop him up. Sounds like he will be a. Sounds like he will be active for the games. They do have Brock Wright. They have Sam Laporte. But Zach Ertz, more experience in that tight end room. And this is news. Panthers hired Dan Morgan as president of football operations. Slash general manager. Used to play for the Panthers. Worked in the Bills front office from 2018 to 2020. Has been assistant GM for the Panthers since 2021. So one of their own. Becomes general manager. They're still looking to hire a head coach. He'll be involved in that process. But Dan Morgan takes over the decision duties for the Carolina Panthers as so many teams try to find their next head coach. But we will update you on the NFL as the week goes on. A lot of things could potentially be happening. But let's pivot from football to fighting. Saturday night was UFC 297 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Sean Strickland, Drickus Duplessis. He did going into it, very personal, and it turned out to be a hell of a fight. Both men beat the hell out of another one another. Strickland had a great first round. Philly Shell landing that jab, landing the jab, aggressive, controlling the pace. Drickus kind of cut off the ring a little bit, started to move in, land some punches, Take away the space from Sean. Bring the pressure to him. I thought he won the second round. It was close, however. Third round, this is where the fight really started to shift. Drickus and Sean accidentally collided heads. Then Drickus landed a shot over the top, which landed a huge cut under Sean's eye, which Drickus also had basically one of his eyes completely shut in this fight. And... They had to try to clean it. He had a hard time kind of seeing out of his eye. He admitted that after the fight was over. And it was a good battle. But Drickus kept coming in, landing shots. It was a very close third round. You could give it to Sean. I scored it to Drickus. Fourth round was a clear Drickus when he took him to the ground twice. Landing shots. It looked like Strickland was running out of gas. Drickus... I thought was tired himself, but he continued to press, continued to fight hard. And in the fifth round, Strickland won the fifth round. Fought well, found that extra bit of motivation. Eric Nixa kind of willed it out of him. And it was going into the scorecards, 
It could have went either way because the third round was the pivotal one. Are you scoring it for Strickland or are you scoring it for Duplessis? Because one was easy, two was easy, four was easy, and to me, five was easy. But it was three where you want to go and ended up being a split decision with Duplessis getting the victory. He's now 6-0 and in the UFC. The new middleweight champion of the world. And a huge night for him. And for South Africa. Sean's come out and said it's bullshit. He won because of this. I think it certainly helped him. There was an accidental uh, collision. I thought the fight was thoroughly entertaining. I thought both guys... I, to be honest, I thought Drickus was going to beat Sean easier than he did. And I don't disagree with I thought Drickus won the fight. But Sean was impressive in a fight that I thought he's fighting a guy that's going to be really hard for him. He's big. He's physical. He punches. But Sean took it to Drickus. He didn't back down. And I was thinking today about Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland's fought five times in the last 13 months. He fought December of 2022 against Jared Cannier. He lost that fight. He then fought Nasruddin Imamov about three weeks later, the first event of 2023. In, uh, sorry, 2022. December 2022, then fights January 2023 against Imamov. Then he fights... In July, at the apex, another five round. This one only goes two rounds gets a finish. Then fights Israel Adesanya in September. Wins the middleweight title. Fights in January. That's five fights in 13 months. That's crazy pace. So many fights. So much wear and tear. He spars all the time. I think he's run out of gas because he's fighting... Too often. It's what he loves to do. But both these men beat the hell out of one another. So here's what happens now. Strickland, despite the fact that he lost, is still one of the biggest stars in the sport, whether people like it or not. Do I agree with everything he said about the LGBTQ community? Absolutely not. But did he make some points that I agree with? Yes. In particular about, you know, the fans telling Trudeau to go fuck himself. I'm all on board about that. It, he's a star. He's polarizing. People care. You have, you know, these a, a Democrat leading sports show who don't talk about UFC, who went out of their way to talk about Sean Strickland last week. Dana White defends Sean Strickland every chance he gets. He said he thought Sean Strickland won the fight, which I don't think is crazy, by the way. It was close. Drickus Duplessis wins the belt, which is probably the best case scenario for the UFC because now they might have their main event for UFC 300, which is in April. Drickus, Israel Adesanya, they're supposed to fight in September. Drickus had a broken foot. Strickland jumps in, beats Izzy in the upset. Now you get Izzy coming back to 185 to win the belt for a potentially third time against Duplessis. They hate each other. 
There's a rivalry there. It's built in. They have hard feelings. It sells itself, and Israel Adesanya is one of the biggest stars in the history of mixed martial arts. He's a perfect guy to, to headline UFC 300. Now, Drick has fought this weekend on January 20th. USC 300 is on April 13th. I can't believe he'd be ready to fight. He's got the hell beat out of him, but he says he's excited for it. Sounds perfect. Less than three months returns on. Kudos to him if it happens, but it sure sounds like Dana White wants to do that. He doesn't want to do Bilal Muhammad and Leon Edwards headlining UFC 300, which I don't blame him because nobody really cares about that fight. Trickus and Izzy is 100% the better fight. It's more interesting. There's more heat. It's just all the way around a better fight. It's a better main event. If you want to go to Manchester in the summer, do that. Bilal and Leon, it will sell because Leon is from the UK. But if that happens in April, this is what if I'm Sean Strickland, if Israel Adesanya wins the belt against Strickland's duplicity, just for instance, Sean Strickland is 1-0 head-to-head against Israel Adesanya. And you could book Sean Strickland against Izzy in later 2024. I don't think the UFC would rule against it. I think it's a bigger fight now than it was the first time. You can book that fight anywhere. International Fight Week, if you want to do it, alongside Conor McGregor, if he ever fights again. Sean Strickland is that polarizing. He's that big against Adesanya. Two huge names. Two guys that don't like one another. Strickland pulled off one of the big ups, one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Can he do it again? He was so close this past weekend. You can make an argument. He defended the belt. He deserves the right to fight for it again, in my opinion. Not to mention you have Whitaker, who's been there, done that. Costa, who's fought for the belt. You have guys that have been there that, <coughs> pardon me, that didn't win it. Sean Strickland won the championship. Whether Drickus wins or whether Izzy wins, I still think he's in the catbird seat, and he's a good spot to get a title opportunity down the road in the not-too-distant future later 2024. Not to mention Sean Strickland should be taking a, a break. Do not take a fight between now and then. Wait. Sit on your spot. Do not fight Marvin Vittori. Do not fight Jared Cannonier, who beat you in 2022. It serves you no benefit. Be ready to go. Spar. Stay ready. But you will be fighting for the belt later in 2024. No reason to fight somebody in between now and then. Realize your position. Realize where you are. And take advantage of it when it comes to you. But take a break. A lot of beating, a lot of hard fights. He went five rounds with Kanier. He went five rounds with Imovov. He went five rounds with Adesanya. He went five rounds with Drikas Duplicy. Four of his last five fights, all 25 minutes, and they all went the distance. That's a lot of cage time. But if Drikas turns around and fights Izzy at UC 300, credit to him. He probably shouldn't be doing it. I don't know if Izzy's going to want to return that quickly. USC has to figure that out. But it would be a great main event. It sells itself. There's heat. It's a great fight. It's a great division. Strickland can be in attendance. Hop in the cage with whoever wins. I like that. 
co-main event was one of the worst title fights in UFC history between Raquel Pennington and Myra Brina Silva for the vacant 135-pound title. Raquel wins the belt at 35, the oldest woman to ever win a belt. Amanda Nunez was in attendance. She was interviewed. Sure sounds like she's coming back. Seeing Amanda fight Kayla Harrison, if Kayla Harrison left PFL, would be a whole lot of fun. Amanda Nunez fighting Chris Cyborg again would be a whole lot of fun. I think there's some fun fights. I don't think they have to be for a belt. That could be a US 300 fight. That would be great. Kayla Harrison fighting Amanda Nunez is better to me than Kayla Harrison fighting Cyborg in the PFL Bellator umbrella. That'd be a fun fight. I'd watch it, but I think that's a it's a better. Amanda Nunez, the greatest of all time. Kayla Harrison, you could argue the best fighter that Bellator has ever produced. Male or female. She's been that dominant over her run in the sport. The two greatest women to ever lace them up fighting at the tail end of their careers while they're still both very good. I'd love to see it. I, I don't know if Amanda's coming back. She said she was retiring last June. But in her interview, she, she sure sounded like she still has some gas in the tank. If she knows a big check's out there and she can still beat most women in the world, I mean, she has to look last night going, Raquel's champion, I could have dusted her off, no problem. I could have beat Buena Silva. Juliana Pena says she can beat anybody. She's the toughest bitch on the planet. I think she's great. She's great at hype videos, promoting fights because nobody else will do it when it comes to women for the most part. But she got dominated in that second fight against Nunez. She's not as good as Amanda Nunez, period. The rest of the card, Mike Malott, Canadian. Dominating Neil Magny, up two rounds to none, good positions. I thought he might finish Magny in the in the second round, but we go to the third. To me, it just seems like Magny ran out of gas. He put himself in bad situation. He was overthrowing. Mag Neil Magny got into the ground, kept landing strike after strike. The ref gave uh, Mike enough chance to get out of it. He could not. Neil Magny, the gatekeeper, gets a huge victory after a loss to Ian Gary in August. Stays ranked, stays in that position. The most wins in welterweight division history. Good moment for Neil Magny. A tough night for Mike Mallott, who was a minus 370 favorite. And he gets finished after being up two rounds to none. Mazar Ivalov, now 18-0, beats Arnold Allen. I thought Arnold Allen to win this fight. It was super close, 29-28 in all three scorecards. Allen fought well. Good strip. Ivalov is so crafty getting him to the ground. His takedown attempts. He does have good striking. I saw complaints about this fight. That was a great fight. Two incredibly talented guys at featherweight. Two guys that can do it with anybody. Ivalov should jump into the top five of the rankings now. If Volkanovski beats Teporia on February 17th, I would not be surprised if he's the next guy fighting for the title. 
because everybody else has fought Volk. He has not, and he's undefeated. It makes some sense. But Evolov beats Arnold Allen in the second best fight of the night. Chris Curtis beats Marc-Andre Barrio, another gatekeeper like Chris Curtis at 185. He gets back in the win column. Canadian men went over. Went over on the night, Canadian men. Let's go through it. Malcolm Gordon, sub, lost. Johan Linese, subbed, first round by Sam Patterson. Serhei Sidi, decision lost to Ramon Tavares. He should have won that fight. That's bullshit. Charles Jourdain loses a decision to Sean Woodson, who at featherweight, I don't know how he makes featherweight at that size, is really, really good. He's 11-1. He looks good. He should get a ranked opponent next time out. Brad Katona, return to the UFC. Only two professional losses. Loses to Garrett Armfield. Another loss. So Mike Malott, Katona, Yordain, Sidi, Lioness, and Gordon. 0 for 7 Canadian males. The women go 2-0 with Jillian Robertson getting a, a knockout in the second round. And Jasmine Yazadevichis getting 237 strikes, the most by a female in UFC history in one fight, getting a finish in the third round. One of the best performances just period ever, but she was dominant on Saturday. Good for her to get back in the win column after a loss to Tracy Cortez. This is what we're going to do. Patrick was back. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. Because we're already an hour and 30 minutes. So I had a lot of NFL thoughts that I want to get to. We're going to talk Patrick Waugh tomorrow. We're going to talk about Jim Rutherford tomorrow, signing an extension. we got games tonight. Jets, Bruins, puck drop in a few minutes. That's a great game from the TD Garden. Golden Knights in New Jersey tonight. In a fun game, Blackhawks, Canucks. We're going to talk hockey tomorrow. We'll talk any football stories that come our way. Corey Perry, <laughs> back in the league. We'll, I have thoughts on that. Coming up tomorrow is Edmonton's won 13 in a row. It's the longest streak by any Canadian team in the history of the league. So we got... That coming up, we're going to talk some baseball tomorrow with Josh Hader going to the Astros. So all that and more coming up tomorrow on Tuesday's edition of the program. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I apologize for the late start, but the Internet's back up and running. And I hope you guys enjoyed it tonight. Let me know what you think about the Lions this weekend because I'm still perplexed with that Lions game. I'm going in. I'm putting in Lions plus seven right after we get off the air. But enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. This is To The Point.